0: Well, this morning uh, we've got Tim Carey preaching to us. Tim is here at the Garden and a faithful, faithful brother. Uh, From the moment that Tim has been part of this church, he has looked for various ways to serve. He loves to serve the body of Christ. Um, And uh, so you've probably... uh, Seen Tim already th- this morning running around setting up chairs and doing whatever he can do to serve you. And uh, he gets double duty today. He gets to serve you not only by helping you get a chair, but also he gets to bring the word to us this morning. So, Tim, bless us with the word of God. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, needless to say, it is an honor and a privilege to stand here before you uh, this, uh, this morning. I count it all joy uh, to be able to do this. For who am I? I'm nobody. I'm no one. Uh, sometimes I have trouble uh, with the expectation that God has of me because I feel as though I fail them every day. And I can never live up to that high expectation. But thank God for his grace that allows me uh, to live every day. And every day I live under the grace of God, as we all do. Uh, So it is definitely an honor and a privilege to uh, to be here before you this morning. And I pray that the word that God has for you today, that you will be able uh, to clearly understand it. And that you will be able to apply it to your lives, especially in what we're going through today. Uh, so, let us open it up in a word of prayer. And first of all, I do want to give honor uh, to uh, my pastor, Joel, who has uh, bestowed upon me this, uh, this privilege. So, I thank you uh, for allowing me to share your pulpit and Elder Eric as well. So, let us pray. Father God, we thank you that we are able to gather together on one accord as a body of Christ today. Lord God, churches for the past few months, bodies, individual bodies of Christ have taken a hit, not being able to gather or being able to gather through computers and things of that nature. But Lord God, because of your grace, we are here today and we are one, amongst one another today to hear your word, to lift up our voices, to praise you, to give you glory and honor. And this is one more opportunity that we have to say thank you, Jesus, for allowing us to be here. So I pray that your word will go forth. I pray, Lord God, that uh, my voice will not be heard, but only the voice of God is being spoken through me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So let's uh, open our Bibles to Psalms chapter 40, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 10. Actually, I did uh, a little brief devotional on this topic a few months ago, maybe uh, six, seven weeks ago, during a, uh, a Sunday night, and Joel had asked me to expand expound on this a little further, and I was... Uh, It was so much information uh, in in this particular passage of Scripture that God was showing us. So uh, once you have it, just say amen so I can know you got it, and I can begin reading. Psalms 40, verses 1 through 10, and it reads, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet upon a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods, Many, O oh Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but my ears you have pierced, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, I am here, I have come, it is written about me in the scroll." I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word versus Psalms 1 through 40, verses 1 through 10. Most parents would agree that their children don't want or don't want to wait for anything. The last thing kids want to hear is mom say, not now. It can prompt anger, frustration, even hopelessness. This dis-ease this of waiting follows most of us into our adult years. We may not respond with the same emotional outbursts as children, but most still hate waiting for what we want. Our modern society just makes it worse. We want everything done quickly and new devices constantly spring up to meet those demands and encourage our impatience. We are not used to waiting, and the more our technology caters to our immediate desires, the less we feel willing to wait. Such is our dilemma as Christians. While society makes every attempt to make our life easier and faster, God works on a very different timetable. In God's mind, nothing is wrong with waiting. In fact, waiting can actually be a positive good that often uses to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. There's a story about a man who stopped in a grocery store on the way home from work to pick up a couple items for his wife. Most of us, his wives we have all been there before. He wandered around aimlessly while searching for the needed items, as often as I do. As often in the case in this, in this grocery store, he kept passing the same shopper in almost every aisle. It was another father trying to shop with a totally uncooperative three-year-old boy in the cart. The first time they passed, the three-year-old was asking over and over for a candy bar. Our observer couldn't hear the entire conversation. He just heard dad say, now, Billy, this won't take long. As they passed in the next aisle, the three-year-old dad was quietly saying, Billy, just calm down. We'll be done any minute. When they passed near the diary case, case, the kid was screaming uncontrollably. Dad was still keeping his cool. In a very low voice, he was saying, Billy, let's settle down. We are almost out of here. The dad and his son reached the checkout counter just ahead of our observer. He still gave no evidence of losing control. The boy was screaming and kicking. Dad was very calm and saying over and over, Billy, we'll be in the car in just one minute and then everything will be okay. The bystander was impressed beyond words after paying for his groceries. He hurried to catch up with this amazing example of patience and self-control, just in time to hear him say again, Billy, we're done, it's going to be okay. He tapped the patient father on the shoulder and said, sir, I couldn't help but watch how you handled little Billy. You are amazing. The dad simply replied, you don't get it, do you? I'm Billy. I'm Billy. You're Billy. You're Billy. We are, there's full of billies in here because we are impatient as little children when it comes to waiting on God. That's what that illustration was. The dad. we hear a child here kicking and screaming, just being impatient, wanting a candy bar, probably something that he wasn't even supposed to have or not good for him to have at the moment. But because of his impatience, he was kicking and screaming, wanting it now. But we see here the Father, which represents the Heavenly Father, just calmly saying, look, we're almost done. Just one moment. Just one minute. Too many times we act like little billies in our lives, kicking and screaming, telling God what we want when we want it. It doesn't work like that. I'm Billy. The title of my sermon this morning is simply Worth the Wait. Worth the Wait. See here, we don't start out willing to wait. Our natural response to waiting sounds more like this. Man, this is taking too long. What's the hold up? Fortunately, God is gracious and merciful, understanding of our tendencies, simply feeling deep, Complex emotions and waiting, especially for significant things like a new job, the start of the NFL season. Uh, for a brand new pair of Jordans to be delivered by UPS. Or for a brand new building to worship in every Sunday. See, the things that we're waiting for and how we wait is not necessarily sinful in itself but we can decide where these emotions will eventually take us. We can decide to exalt these feelings. We might act on them by taking matters into our own hands, which is a no-no. Or perhaps we will not act, but we'll make an idol out of the good for which we are waiting. Every passing day is another log on the fires of bitterness, impatience, ingratitude, perhaps even resentment against God who won't give us what we want. Many that profess to know Christ stumble and fall away when they get hit with various trials of waiting in a pit. If you're going to Persevere with Christ, you must know in advance that you will face times when you are in a pit. And you must know what to do when you're there. Rather than turning away from the Lord, you must learn to turn to Him to escape life's pits. You see, waiting for God to help us is not easy. But David received four benefits from waiting. We see God lifting him out of his despair. He set his feet upon a rock. He gave him a firm place to stand. He put a new song of praise in his mouth. See, often blessings can't be received unless we go through the trial of waiting. God wants us to learn how to follow him and put down our demanding selves to calm that screaming child within us. One way to help to do this is to say, wait. That miserable, uncomfortable, sometimes painful state of silence is one of God's most powerful tools to set us free. And the question this morning is, are you willing to wait patiently for God to do the work in your lives and deliver you from the pit? You see, since waiting on God shapes us, therefore let us patiently wait on God. Now we're going to get into the the body of uh, our text for this morning. First, we see here that David was in a pit. So we're going to find out what is the pit? What is a pit? What does it look like? Simply pit? It can be life's trials and tribulations. See, David doesn't specify exactly in this passage of scripture what the trial of the pit was for him. But we can determine that David was certainly going through some things as a result of his sin. David described it as a slimy pit, mud, and mire. Think of the pit as a deep, dark, and damp well where you have fallen and you are crying out for help, and no one can hear you. Or quicksand where you are sinking further and further, and there is no one around to save you. That is where David was. He was trapped and unable to free himself. See, your pit could be poor health. Your pit could be a loss of a job, a death of a close friend or relative. Your pit can be friends turned against you an unfaithful spouse, rebellious children, social injustice, police brutality, racism or the current pit we're in right now, COVID-19. Your pit may be the consequences of unconfessed sin in your life. See, your pit could be the sin of unbelief. If you have not cried out to God to save you from your judgment and eternal punishment for your sin, then you are in a deep pit with no human way out. You may feel like you are not in a pit. You may feel as life is great. You may feel like everything's going good for you, that everything's hunky-dory. Wait, wait, did I just? Yeah, I just used the word hunky-dory. Y'all really pray for me. You may feel as though That everything's going great. There's no issues. COVID-19 hasn't affected you at all. Everything's going great for you. You may feel as though you don't need God. See, Paul describes your future this way in 2 Thessalonians Chapter 1, verses 7 and 9, he says, When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. See, people, that is the worst of all pits to be in. So now that we have defined what this pit looks like and what it is and what it may even look like for you, now we want to, my second point is we want to look how to get out of this pit. First, verse one says, I waited patiently. I waited patiently. It's not a coincidence that David started the psalms off with those three words. You take patiently off the end of that. And it says, I waited. <laughs> yeah, you're going to wait whether you like it or not. You're going to wait whether you like it or not. But it's how you wait. It's what God is looking for. I waited patiently. See, waiting is the action of staying where one is or delaying action until a particular time or until something else happens. See, waiting is an action, people. It is an active state. And best believe no one likes to wait. Waiting is something that you actually do. Again, many of you all know uh, how I am, have a particular fondness for sneakers. And normally back in the day, or even today, actually, you can go into a store, your local tennis shoe store, look up at the shelf, pick a pay you like off the shelf, take them up to the counter, exchange uh, your money for them. Take them with you out the door. Y'all have a good one. (laughs) Not me. I got to do things the hard way. I like a particular pair of sneakers that you can only find in other places. So when it comes to that, I have to search online for them and and, and go look all around for them. And then I finally find a pair that I like. I click Submit. And now begins the wait. I'm like, oh man, I can't stand this. And they see me. I, you can you can pay the extra $10, $15 for that two-day shipping. I'm like Martin, I'm not paying the five. <laughs> I'll do the standard free shipping. But with that comes away. And boy, I tell you, sometimes when I'm checking that UPS tracker to see where's that, where's that, where, oh man, man. It hasn't even shipped out the warehouse yet. Oh, my goodness. I've become so impatient. I just spent X amount of dollars on these sneakers, and I want them now. I don't want to wait no more. So finally, I check, I check, and finally, the UPS says it's coming. It's on its way. But see, I hate to wait. That's just my one example of why I hate waiting. There are other examples where during this COVID-19 pandemic, we find ourselves waiting in lines more and more now. I tell you, at the grocery store at Walmart, and there's a line, sometimes me and Courtney go to the Walmart, and there's a line back where the women's clothes are at. I'm like, come on. This is not cool at all. I got things to do. Actually, I don't have nothing to do but go back home. (laughs) But I just hate waiting. You know, we're waiting more and more now. But we have to wait patiently. We are waiting for this COVID-19 pandemic to be over. It's been since March the 13th, I believe. That was the last day I was at my office when it seems like everything stopped and we've been in a waiting mode ever since. But God has graciously let up a little bit at a time, just a little bit. First, for the first two, three months, we were hunkered down in our homes, only able to go out to stores. But then we see things opening up a little bit. Only by God's grace, now look at us. We're, we're gathered together in church. But we're waiting for a, a vaccine to be developed so that things can, quote, unquote, be normal again. Quite frankly, things may never be normal again. We may have to come to that realization of that. We're praying for it to be. Where we can gather together and we don't. I look out and I don't see masks on people's face. I pray for that day. And I do believe that day will come. But we're waiting for God, as my little ones like to say, uh, for God to heal a sick world. Because he says, Daddy, is the world still sick? Yeah, last time I checked. <laughs> but we're waiting for God to heal the world. From this COVID 19 pandemic, and while we're waiting, we must be patient in it. See, patiently is being, patience is being in a state of calmness, being without complaint or being in a hurry, being in a hurry in spite of delays and difficulties. Again, waiting on God is not easy. See, waiting patiently is what God calls us to do in verse 1. You see here David says, I waited patiently. That's for us to do. It's our job to wait patiently. As we seek to accept and rejoice in God's handling of our lives, including his timing, we can ask God to work out two main things in our lives so our waiting is not in vain. The first thing is humility. When you find yourself getting impatient and upset, remember that God is the one that has allowed you to be in the pit. It is, it is a reminder that your life is not your own. It is a very humbling and to come to that conclusion. See, people, I was, uh, I was uh, taking a walk with Andrew and Amy uh, well, on those Wednesday walks one time and we were discussing and uh, I made the statement, you see, See, people need a reminder that we are not in control of our lives. See, we went all this time thinking that we had control, that we wake up when we want to wake up. We go where we want to go. We do what we want to do. We say what we want to say. But see, when March 13th came, God says, Pause. I'm in control. See, we had to quickly realize that we can't go where we want to go. We can't do what we want to do. That God is actually in control. And we are not. When he says sit down, we sit down. When he says stand up, we stand up. When he says go, we go. You and me, we are not in control of our lives. And that is a very humbling thing to come to grips with because we think it is in our nature to say that we have control over everything that we do. It is very humbling to come to that conclusion. It is coming to realize that we are a breath and God owes us nothing. The second thing we want to want God to work out is trust. See, trust means that believing two things about God, that first He is powerful and second, He is loving. Believing God is powerful means that we know He is in charge of what's happening, and things are not arbitrary or out of His control. During a pandemic on a couple of Sundays. Uh, Sunday mornings, I like to go on top, before we start church again, I like to go on top of Federal Hill. To me, it's the most beautiful place in all the city. You can look up and just look over the harbor, see the buildings, the water. It's it's very serene and quiet, especially up there that time of morning. And during that time, I would spend some time in God's presence, just me and him, just a little escape, uh, talking to God. And it was one particular Sunday, uh, I was sitting and praying, and I was overlooking overlooking the city from the hill, and I saw the cars uh, driving past. I saw people jogging. I saw people playing volleyball and just, you know, life just moving, just moving. And see, what God reminded me of during that particular moment, see, that we had a tendency to think that because of COVID-19 that the world was chaotic. That, the, that everything was out of control. That things just wasn't just right. That this is not normal. Things are chaotic. Things are not in its place right now. But see, what God reminded me in that moment, just looking at things, people driving, people walking and playing volleyball, is that God has the world right where he wants it. The world is not in, in chaos. The world is not chaotic. God has the world right where he wants it to be right now. He is in control of everything that is going on. You see, God is capable of both helping us and changing things at the same time. Much of our anxiety in waiting is because We forget that God is able to make all grace abound in you. That's according to 2 Corinthians 9.8. You are not at the mercy of your circumstances. You are at the mercy of God. See, believing God is loving means that there is care and purpose behind all that he does. That God's judgment and timing is always perfectly good. God owes us nothing, yet he has promised to give us everything we need. Even when we feel like we're alone in the pit, just know that God deeply cares for you. My third point I want to make is what does it mean to wait on God? What does that mean to us? What does it mean? look like? How can we apply that to our lives today? What does it mean to actually wait on God? And we go back quickly to uh, verse 1 in chapter 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. You see, waiting on God, it's, uh, it's no ho-hum kind of waiting. You're not just sitting there swinging your arms and your legs, saying, la-la-la-dee, lala, just waiting on the Lord. Mm-hmm. Nope, that's not what that is. It's it's not like the kind of waiting you do at a doctor's office when you are flipping through a bunch of magazines to pass the time. It's an intently active time when your situation in the pit should tune your heart to the Lord in ways that you would not normally experience. It means to wait expectantly as you hope for God's promises to be fulfilled on your behalf. The more intense your situation, the more intently you wait upon the Lord to fulfill his promises. See, waiting on God means to cry out to him for his deliverance. You look at uh, verse two. I mean, part of verse one, he says, he turned to me and heard my cry. See, God's timing often does not coincide with our timing. We want it done instantly, but God has other purposes. But when you're in a pit, there is a sense of urgency. In verse 1, David mentions cry. That can be as simple as, Lord, help. Lord, help. Lord, help. One reason we often don't cry out to God for deliverance is that we don't see ourselves as afflicted or even needy. This is true in the case of those who don't see their own need for salvation from God's judgment. See, there are men who see themselves as good sinners. A good sinner may admit they need a little assistance from time to time, but they really don't need a Savior. See, a good sinner is one who may uh, show up to church, I call them the holiday saints, where they show up to church on Easter or Christmas, or maybe they even do back-to-back. They may show up on New Year's night, too. That's back-to-back Sundays. That's, that's still stepping out. They show up on Mother's Day because their mom invited them, or Father's Day because their Father invited him. Holiday. Holiday saints. A good sinner is someone who only shows up to programs that their children are in. You know, we got little, little Bobby, little, little Billy. Little, little Sunday school program. He, he's reciting the books of the Bible. So they show up to that. I'm a good dad. But are you a good dad? Are you, did you teach him the books of the Bible? Those good sinners, see, good sinners, again, they admit that they need a little assistance from time to time, but they really don't need a savior. They think, I got this. I'm good. I got everything I need. See, there was this, uh, this gentleman that I knew, and uh, he was an example of what I call a good sinner. He, uh, he only came to church from time to time, again, to see a little program for his children. But he had a wife who was a Bible-believing Christian. And uh, I'm pretty sure, uh, based upon her testimony, that she lived a life in front of him that was godly. So he saw what God can do in the life of his wife. But he, he, he would never, ever make that step. I mean, he, he would hardly ever. You couldn't see God in his life at all, like, like not at all. He was a proud man. I mean, the kind of proud that stinks. I mean, the kind of proud that you walk around to chest out like, yeah, I got three degrees. I, I, I got this house. I got this car. I know these people. I belong to this country club. I don't need God for anything. He was that kind of man. He figured out I got my life. I'm in control of it and no God's going to tell me how to live it or what to do. Well, guess what? Unfortunately, that gentleman became stricken with a nasty type of cancer. Type of cancer, he wasn't going to make it. So I only hope and pray that he looked and saw how God moved in his wife's life and that at least at some point in time, maybe even on his deathbed, that he, he received Jesus as his savior. I only hope, I don't know. I wasn't there in the hospital. But if he didn't, he probably now realizes he needs God, but it's too late. See being a good sinner can give you a false hope of thinking that you have everything under control. I show up to church from time to time and I'm good, but guess what, you're not. See you don't need a savior unless you are helpless at the bottom of a slimy pit. Because, see, our tendency, even after salvation, is to think we can do it by ourselves. The Lord graciously keeps putting us in one pit after another so that we cry out to him. See, I had an experience in my life where I kept going from one pit to another because I refused to listen to God. had a situation in my life where, uh, see, I was married before and my first wife had left me and my son. And that was a devastating time in my life. So I tried to do everything I could to manipulate the situation. I was not waiting patiently as I should. So I tried to manipulate the situation. You see, God kept putting me in one pit after another. See, God was so gracious to me, he even gave me a set of instructions in Psalm 37 to follow, to help me while I was even in the pit. But I refused to follow them instructions. I tried to manipulate this plan on my own without God's help. And I kept finding myself sinking further and further and deeper and deeper into a pit of abyss, a pit of despair. Because I tried to change the outcome that God had for my life. People don't do that. Wait on the Lord to move is when I realized that I now needed to wait on God and not only wait on God, but wait patiently on God. I began to follow the instructions that God laid out for me in, in Psalms 37. And before you know it, I'm marrying this beautiful woman in yellow right over here to my left. See, God had a plan the whole time for my life, but I kept trying to manipulate the situation. And I kept making things worse for myself. It's not until I submitted to God's plan and God's timing. God knew what he had for me. But I kept trying to change it myself. Don't try to change it yourself. Wait on the Lord. We see here at the end of verse 1 going into verse 2. See, God gives us first what we need to do. Now we see God taking action in verse 2. How does he take action? He says, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet upon a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song of praise in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and put their trust in the Lord. So we see here uh, that... uh, uh, God's timing, again, often does not coincide with our timing. God inclined unto me and heard my cry. I love the word inclined here because what does that look like? Get a picture of of a little child. Like my son with that sweet little voice. And sometimes he's, he's calling, he's saying, Daddy, I need your help. And I, I can't hear him. I can't hear him. It's not till I get closer to finally understand what he's saying. And now picture, you're crying out to God from your pit. You're simply saying, Lord, help. Lord, help. Lord, help. And you're weakening your state. And the Lord help becomes a, Lord, help. And we see God bending down, inclining his ear to hear his children. That is an awesome picture of God meeting us where we're at in the state of our sin. See, God just does not sit high on his throne. He comes down to meet his children so he can hear them clearly. Say, Lord, help, I need you. That's an awesome picture of God's grace. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. God lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. One of my grandfather's favorite songs was Love Lifted Me. It goes, I was sinking deep in sin, far from a peaceful shore. Every deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea, he heard my despairing cry. From the waters, he lifted me. Now safe am I. Thank God that he meets us where we're at. God doesn't mind getting his feet a little dirty sometimes to go get his children. This is why when we see homeless people out in the street, we need to go meet them where they're at. Don't expect them to always come to us. We got to go to them sometimes. That's what it looks like to, to look like God. Imagine being stuck. I mean, I picture the, 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 the mud and the mire and the slimy pit. See, imagine being stuck in quicksand for a moment. See, and I looked up what it takes to get out of quicksand. I looked that up. And see, the number one thing you want to do when you're, when, you, when you're stuck in quicksand is, is you want to make yourself as light as possible. And see, I began to, 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 uh, to make these things. What, what does that look like? in the spiritual realm to make yourself as light as possible. It simply means to get rid of the baggage that we're carrying around in our lives every day. Get, get rid of those burdens, those unwanted burdens that we're carrying around that's weighing us down for us to keeping us from being effective for God. Give your burdens unto the Lord. Matthew 11:30 says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Number two thing you want to do to get out of quicksand is you want to keep your arms up and out. You want to keep your arms not down by your side, but you want to keep your arms up and out. And there's two reasons for this. The first reason is you want to continue to give God the glory, praise, and honor even from the pit. See, when you got your arms like this, this is an attitude of praise and worship. You want to give God the glory and honor and praise even while you're in your pit situation. Even while you're in despair, you want God still deserves the glory, honor, and praise. You still can praise God because he's worthy. So you keep your arms in a praise type of uh, 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 position. And another reason why you got your arms in an upright position you see, when you come along, somebody can, can reach down and, 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 and pull you out, or you can grab a hold to something. But see, when your arms are in that same upright position, praising God, we see God now reaching down to you in order to pull you out. When your arms are like this, now we got God reaching his hand down to pull you out of that pit of despair. Father, I stretch my hands to thee. No other help I know. If you withdraw thy hand from me, oh, whither shall I go? The fourth thing you want to do in quicksand is you want to be calm and not anxious. Wait patiently, be patient. Be calm and not anxious. Don't panic. The more you panic, the, the quicker you sink. When you're in your pit situation, people, don't panic, trust God. Don't panic, trust God. The fifth thing you want to do to get out of quicksand is you want to move slowly and deliberately. The more you try to move with haste, the quicker you will sink. Listen, many of you may be in a pit right now. We're all in a collective pit waiting for the pandemic to be over, but you all may have your individual things that you're going through right now. Don't be in such a hurry to get out. Don't be in such a hurry to get out. Because God is doing something for you while you're in this situation. Don't be in such a haste. Wait for God to finish the good work that he started in the pit. See, because she went and think, because I'm in a pit, God can't do nothing for me. He can't work with me. Man, let me tell you right now, even in the pit, God can still work things out for you in your life. He's cultivating you to who He wants you to be. God can work while you're out of the pit, He can work while you're in the pit. It doesn't matter. God can do all things, there's nothing impossible for Him. See, you see, God here, he sets your feet upon a rock and gives you a firm place to stand. When God delivers you, you don't go from one shaky place to another. God delivers you to a place of refuge and stability in your life. See, Jesus is the rock of our salvation. In Christ, we have stability and steadfastness. See, what it means to wait on God means to trust in him alone, Chapter 40, verse 3 and 4 says, He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. See, God is the source of our praise as well as its object. Our deliverance results not only in praise to our God, but in testimony to others. See, there are other Christians and sinners alike that are watching how you handle your pit experience. The way we handle our pit should point people to Christ and not from Christ. When you're waiting on God, you are not waiting on man. Putting your trust in man to deliver you is a surefire way of sinking further and further and further in despair. You think waiting on God is long? Try waiting on man. You'll be waiting forever. The blessed man not only turns to God, but see, he turns away from proud men. The blessed man not only turns to God, but he turns away from proud men and followers of false gods. See, he is not tricked by two of the greatest delusions of life. The idea that the honor of men is important and the concept that the false gods of materialism, pleasure, sexual indulgence can satisfy the human heart. The blessed man is more concerned with God's approval than the man's realizing that fullness of joy is found only in God's presence, not in the company of those who worship idol shrines. Waiting on God means recounting his many wonders of his providential care while in the pit. It says, verse 5, many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you have planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they will be too many to declare. See, waiting on God gives you time to think. But you've got to direct your mind to think about the right kind of things. If you think, oh no, God has abandoned me, I'm doomed. You will either panic or turn to the world for help. And we all know where that will lead. But if you think about God's many wonders and how he has worked in the past to deliver his people, you will wait with an expected hope in him. See, here David was probably thinking about God's many wonderful acts of delivering his people from trouble in Egypt and how he uh, preserved them while in the wilderness, how he saved them time and time again from foes, threatened to destroy them. Maybe David was thinking about personal things, how God delivered him from the bear and the lion, not to mention Goliath and from Saul's repeated attempts to kill him. If you know, if you have known the Lord for any length of time, you can think back to the many times that you were brought low and how God has delivered you. Yeah. You see, I've known the Lord for a majority part of my life, right? And I can think back on how God has spared my life on two specific, many poor I probably don't even know. I, I, I'm a. I'm going to stand on that. There's plenty times that God has spared my life that I don't even know. So I'm going to give him glory right now. Thank you, Lord, for that. But there are two times specifically in my life that I know God has spared my life. See, back in 1995, I was shot. I was shot. See, I was somewhere where I was not supposed to be. And, 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 and I thought that, hey, man, I'm, I'm Baltimore bread. I can go anywhere I want, anytime I want, and do anything I want to do. But quickly did I realize, I'm in the wrong neighborhood. I don't belong down here. So I wind up, and there's always a young lady that winds up, you wind up. That's, that's why I was in the neighborhood, going to visit a young lady. And had no business there, None. So I, I, I go and I and, I and I, I'm big, I'm bad. I'm, I'm gonna go to the corner store. This is over on Egan Wolf. Egan Wolf, boy, yeah. So I'm done now, now I'm going to the corner store. So I go into this corner store. And see, when you're over there visiting a, 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 a young lady, see, a lot of those, a lot of young men in the neighborhood, they're very protective of the women in their neighborhood. So they ain't gonna allow no outsiders to come in and start dating one of their, one of their girls. They're gonna catch feelings about that. So they knew I was there for this particular young lady and they didn't like it. So I walked into the corner store and here come two dudes following me inside the store. Gun out. I already knew this was not going to end well. So as they, as they are robbing me, I'm here, take what you want. I don't have much, but hey, here you go. One of them tells me to walk out the store. So as I begin to walk out, The words that I hear as I'm stepping out is, I'm going to shoot him. So as I'm walking out and I get into the middle of the street as I'm, all I hear is "pop, pop," And I take off. I take off running, running. And I bust in the house of the uh, young lady I was visiting. And as I bust in the house, I looked down, blood was coming everywhere. And when I got to the emergency room, The doctor said that the bullet came within a half an inch of my main artery. I would have bled to death in minutes. Grace, people, grace. Another time in my life where I was going to Pennsylvania up to the outlet shopping with a couple of my buddies and we were on on our way back on 83 and there's this bridge and over the bridge there's a body of water. And, you know, on a trip, sometimes you just fall, do, fall off to sleep. Well, the one person in the car that's not the, supposed to fall to sleep is the driver. Come on, man. The driver. You, you don't fall asleep. But he fell asleep. And in the middle of falling asleep, we, as he dozed off, the car jerked. And we woke all of us up, but he couldn't get control of the car again. And by the time he got control of the car, the car smashed into a barrier. But guess what was on the other side of that barrier? A body of water. God stopped the car just in time, else you would have all drowned to death. Grace, people. That's just two times in my life that I can recount. But there are countless more. Countless more. See, as Christians, our minds are to think on such things as the magnitude of his spiritual blessings, election, predestination, justification, redemption, propitiation, pardon of sins, forgiveness of sins, salvation, the new birth, the indwelling spirit, the seal of the spirit, the anointing, sanctification, sonship, heirship, and my favorite of all, glorification. That's the things that we should be thinking about as Christians. We got all of these good things to think about while we're in the pit. See, waiting on God means not only recounting the wonderful things he's done in our lives, but waiting on God means actually obeying him while in the pit. See, chapter 40, verses 6 through 8 says, See, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come, it is written about me in the scroll.'" I desire to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. See, waiting on God means actually obeying him while in the pit. See, I mentioned before that God gave me a set of instructions in Psalms 37 37 for me to follow while I was in the pit. And it wasn't until I followed those instructions when God delivered me. See, the ritual, the religious ritual of David's day involved sacrificing animals in the tabernacle. David says these acts were meaningless unless done for the right reasons. Today, while we're in the pit, we often make rituals of going to church, taking communion or paying tithes and offerings. These activities, while good, are also empty if our hearts and reasons for doing them are selfish. We try to buy our way out of the pit, just like we try to buy our way with our own righteousness in the heaven. It does not work. See, God does not want these sacrifices and offerings without an attitude of devotion to him. The prophet Samuel said to Saul, to obey is better than to sacrifice. The verse says that, but my ears you have pierced. The idea here is that God opened the ear of his servants so that he would be obedient to his word, which was already in David's heart and should be in our hearts as believers as well. The application for us is that we, when we are in a pit, we must focus on continuing to obey the Lord even if he does not deliver us quickly. The devil will tempt us to give up trusting in God and to seek and to seek fulfillment in other ways. Oh, we're getting to my favorite part of the scripture right here because we're getting ready to talk about my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. See, verse 6 through 8 is referring to someone much greater than David. The psalm is distinctly messianic. I mean, if we look to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 9, we learn that these words, and I'm going to read them again for you so you can clearly see. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am, I have come, it is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. See, if we look again to Hebrews 10, verses 9, we learn that these words were the language of the Son of God. When we came, when he came into the world, he was saying, in effect, That although God had instituted sacrifice and offerings for the nation of Israel, they never represented his ultimate intention. They were designed as types and shadows of something better to come. As a temporary stopgap, see, they had their place but God was never really satisfied with them. To him, they were less than ideal because they did not provide a final solution to the sin problem of mankind. Recognizing the inherent weakness of burnt offerings and sin offerings, God instead opened the ears of his beloved son. This simply means that the Savior's ears were open to obey To hear and obey the will of his father. It was with this attitude of willingness and readiness, obedience, that Christ came into the world. When Christ became man, it was not with meek resignation, but with a wholehearted delight. He said at this time, behold, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is written within my heart. You see, the Old Testament foretold not only that Christ would come into the world, but that he would come eager, ready, spirit to do the will of God. The will of God was not just in his head. It was inscribed in his very heart. Waiting on God, this is my final point, waiting on God means sharing the gospel while in the pit. My grandfather, who is resting in eternal peace with our Heavenly Father now as we speak, told me how to, what to do when you find yourself in various trials and tribulations, when you find yourself in a pit. He said, one of the things, Tim, you want to do is you want to take your eyes off of what you're going through and place your eyes on what someone else is going through. What you want to do is look at the relationships in your life and find out how you can make those relationships better, how you can be a better, better son, a better father, a better friend. See, how you can help someone else while you're going through what you're going through. See, sometimes people, it is not until we take our eyes off of what we're going through and place our eyes on someone else, that's when God really starts to work. Because we take off, we we stop looking at our own problems. We have that, my grandfather liked to say, stop having that woe is me attitude. Like, why is this happening to me? Why me? Why not you? You are no different. You were born into this world with sin just like every other human being that has ever walked the face of this earth except for Jesus Christ himself. Look at what you can do to help someone else while you're going through what you're going through. And it's that that time the more you pour into other people the more You would look at the time, and before you know it, you're out of your pit. Because you're not looking at yourself. You're not looking at your watch, saying, how long, oh Lord, how long? Instead, you're looking at someone else to try to help them out. See, David said he would speak on God's faithfulness and salvation to those around him. When we feel the impact of God's righteousness on our lives, We can't keep it hidden. We want to tell others what God has done for us. If God's faithfulness has changed your life, don't be timid. It is natural to share good bargains with others or recommend a skill for doctor. It should also feel natural to share what God has done for you. God's faithfulness is like human faithfulness except for it's only perfect. His love is absolute and his promises are true. He loves us in spite of our constant bent towards sin. And he keeps all the promises he made to us, even when we break our promises to him. In conclusion, I just want to say that patience is a hard discipline. It is not just waiting until something happens over which we have no control, like the arrival of the bus, the end of the rain, the return of a friend, the resolution of a conflict, the end of the COVID-19 pandemic. Patience is not a waiting passivity until someone else does something. Patience asks us to live the moment to the fullest, to be completely present to the moment, to taste the here and now, to be where we are. When we are impatient, we try to get away from where we are because because we want to escape the reality of the pit instead of facing the reality of the pit and waiting on God's amazing grace to deliver us. We behave as if the real thing will happen tomorrow, later, or somewhere else. So let's be patient and trust that the treasure we look for is hidden in the rock on which we stand, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us close out in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord God, for uh, your word, Lord God. I pray that the word of God uh, has went out and uh, will not return void. We thank you for showing us what it looks like to patiently wait on you, Father God. While we're in the pit, Father God, of various trials and tribulations in life, Lord God, there are certain ways we must wait. We're going to wait regardless, but if we wait patiently, Lord God, You will be well pleased with us, and our deliverance will come quicker than we think. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise, O Lord my God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.